Good morning. I'm Scott Weatherford. It's good to be back again with you. Somehow you had a momentary lapse of judgment and you voted me in as your interim pastor. And uh, Tara and I are honored to serve with you in these days. We're excited to, to be a part of First Baptist Wimberley and what God has got going on here and what he's going to do in and for and through us. Now, you know God always does something in you, and we rarely remember what he's done for us. But he wants to do something for you as well, and then obviously he wants to do something through you. On April the 9th, we have a great opportunity to be used by God to invite people to come eat the blessed hot dog. So uh, you guys could uh, make the ask and, and bring people with you, and let's have a great day here on April 9th. Uh, I like to call this a party with a purpose, and the purpose is to invite people to come and see, to come and see King Jesus and to come and, and know his people and to be involved in the family. So this morning, we're going to begin a four-week series on encounters with Jesus. Now, you have in your hand, if you don't have it in your hand, you can get it online, A Journey to the Cross. This is a devotional I wrote, believing that uh, you guys might vote me in as interim pastor. So I wrote this pre-vote. So I wrote it with confidence and with a little bit of timidity, and I said, Wyatt, do not give this out until they vote me in. If they don't vote me in, you ain't going to get it, okay? But what it is is a different look at the ministry of Jesus from the book of John. Johann Theology, John, a pastor, very intentionally building his people to come and see, come and follow, come and serve, and then last, come and die. Now, do you think for a second that people kind of got squeamish when Jesus said, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood? I think most of us would go, peace out, Jesus, I'm done here, you know? But really, he invites us to a life of surrender, and that's a life of discipleship. Now, I started this study with, uh, with this phrase, do you want to go on an adventure? Now, the adventure that God calls us to is far greater than our minds really can't understand or see. Now, I'm not going to preach out of that today, okay? So you can put that down and read that later. What I am going to do is we're going to talk out of Luke chapter 5. Now, some of you said, well, I'd rather read this than listen to you. I know you'd rather hear me than look at me. I have a mirror. I understand that. But what I want you to do is that we want to take a separate look at these encounters with Jesus, how he invites people in. Of course, that's leading us up to the great invitation and that's Easter Sunday, the resurrection of our Lord. So we're going to have a, a good time together. And uh, I'm, I'm so excited. I've kind of planned out the whole year of preaching. And now that can change. You know, I might decide y'all need to hear a sermon or two online every now and then. So I may have to slip that in. Or I'm teasing. It's okay. We're going to love y'all. It'll be all right. And, uh, and, and so I'm really excited about the trajectory God has us on over the next, uh, well, ever how long I'm here. Who knows how long that'll be. Maybe the Lord will come back and clean this mess up. I think that'd be good. Don't, don't y'all think so? Yes. But today, I want to invite you into an adventure. Now, this is a, a phrase that was used around my house a lot. Now, I am very, now this is going to be shocking to you, I am very outgoing and spontaneous, just in case you were wondering. And my wife is, uh, she's not as outgoing. She's wonderful, loving, good. She's a planner. She likes to plan things out, and she's a proper planner. Today, I had to park my truck twice because I wasn't quite in the lines appropriately in the parking place. Can I get a witness? Anybody else in the room like that? Anybody else married to somebody like that? So what I have to do is I have to surrender and submit to her 
her proficiency. And, and I repart my truck. Now, I used to argue with her, but I've discovered arguing is futile. Are you with me on that one? Okay. Those of you who've been married longer than 30 years have discovered that. She usually, I usually have the last word in our arguments. It's yes, dear, you were right. But uh, anyway, I would say to our children, do you want to go on an adventure? Now, when I said that to them, it would fill their little minds with wonder. Where is daddy going to take us? And it filled Tara's mind with suspicion. Same question, where is daddy going to take them? Will they be in danger? Will they be fed? Will they be watched? Will they be cared for? This man whom I married, who's fathered my children, is really not that responsible to take these children on an adventure. Now, they all lived to adulthood. No one was ever injured significantly. But the invitation to an adventure is exciting. Most of us come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and we don't really see it's an adventure. We don't see it's really a journey. It's a lifestyle of exhilarating excitement and a lifestyle of surrender, a lifestyle to see miraculous things happen in and for and through us. We fail to realize the great adventure that God is calling us to. Why? Because we're just used to going to church. God doesn't want you just to go to church. He wants you to be the church. And the church is the invitation to the great adventure. Now, you might call it theologically, you might call it discipleship. Whatever you may call this adventure, it's the adventure Jesus is inviting you into. So the first encounter with Christ we're going to experience today is the invitation or the call to discipleship. Come and see. Now, I want you to look at this passage. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. That's Romans 8.29. Now, 8.28 says this, and we know God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose for them. And that's a great passage, and we quote that, don't we? Especially when something bad happens or something stupid happens. We say, well, you know, God causes all things to work together for good, but if you take 28 and not look at 29, you miss the point. 29 says this, so that we might become like Jesus. God is like a southerner at a pig killing. He don't waste anything, not even the oink. And he wants to use all the circumstances and all the situations in our life that for good that we might become like Jesus. I love this from Jeremiah. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Isn't that good news? God doesn't say, well, you're an accident. Don't know how you got here. I'm the fourth child in my family. My father said I was an accident. My mother says I was their love child. Either way, I'm disturbed by that announcement. <laughs> but God foreknew me before he formed me. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you. Actually, that's really not a good translation. The translation should say anointed you. And that means to set you apart. I anointed you as my prophet to the nations. Now, you read that and you say, well, Scott, that ain't talking about me. That's talking about Jeremiah. But this is one of these universal passages in Jeremiah. 
for those of us who've entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's that passage of prophecy over you. God did not save you just to get your hide out of hell. He saved you that he might use you for his glory. Are you with me on that? I heard a message when I was a young man. One of my mentors preached this message. He said, would you follow Jesus if heaven wasn't a part of the deal? Now, heaven is a part of the deal, thank, right? Hallelujah. Thank God for that. But actually, he presented this in such a way that the life in Christ is a life full of hope and peace and purpose. And heaven is the reward. The life is what we live. A good friend of mine said this. I love this. This life is preparation for the next life. Now, when I was growing up, my pastor used to say, when you get to heaven, it's going to be like an eternal church worship service. And I grew up at an old stodgy Baptist church and said, oh, God, I don't want to go if it's like that. <laughs> but heaven is far greater than we could ever imagine. Let me give you a resource. You might want to read Randy Alcorn's work, a book called Heaven. It's long and it's thorough and it's good. But this is God's grace. He calls you into relationship with you. He calls you into relationship with him. So this, so that he might bring you in. Come and see that he might build you up, come and follow. That he might train you for, come and serve. And that he might send you out to be his witness and to be his messenger, to be his prophet to the nations, and that is come and die. Come and live a life of surrender. This is the invitation that God has given to each one of us who claim the name of Jesus. Now, we're going to go on this venture today. Now, some of you, it might be an invitation for the first time. You might be hearing this, and you might go on, well, you know, I've been going to church, and I think I've said this to you before, going to church, it's kind of like going to a barn expecting to become a horse. you got to be born a horse to be a horse, and you have to be born again to belong to Jesus. There has to be a transformation of your heart and your soul. Are you with me on that one? It's not what you show up to, it's what shows up in you that matters. Now, for some of you, this might be a restart. That someplace in your past, you said, you know, I, I once did this, I once lived this way. One of the things I've noticed as I've gone from church to church and preached to church to church, I've noticed that we have failed to call people back from what we used to call backsliding. We failed to call people to a, a level of recommitment or rededication, it used to be called. Do y'all remember those days? Now, I don't know about you, but I need to be rededicated from time to time. The Lord is not forgotten. I have. Right? The Lord remembers. I need to be reminded that I'm still all in. Do you know how often I need to be reminded? Every day. Sometimes a few times a day. I think maybe after this sermon, I'm going to have to recommit again. But it's all for the glory of God. For some of you, this will be just a reminder that this is the journey that you are on. You are a disciple, and you're fully following, and you want more from Jesus, and you want to go further still. You see, the Lord doesn't take you to a place and leave you. He is not done with you until we throw dirt on you and make up good things to say about you. 
Not until you have passed on is he done with you. So let's go. Let's go on this grand adventure, all for God's glory, and let's hear the invitation of the calling that's found in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 and following. Are you guys ready? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're going to say to us this morning, and I pray that you will speak through me. That will not be my words or, Father, my thoughts, but your truth that will change us into what you want us to be. I pray, Father, that these folks will take this personally, not in a way of offense, but a way of Holy Spirit unction and turning that will lead them directly to you. And Father, I thank you that at the end of this time together, we're going to state our commitment to you by receiving communion, the outward symbol of an inward conviction that we belong to you and we belong to one another. Thank you for what you're going to do today, and I pray this all in your strong name. Amen. Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to do this. We're going to go verse by verse through this passage. So I'm going to give you thoughts, and and, and you can write those notes down. So on the back of your bulletin, you'll find a note page. Now, in the future, probably maybe even next week, I'm going to provide for you a fill-in-the-blank study guide, something that it'll have the thoughts, and you can write the blanks in, and you'll have the Scripture there, because I really want you to be able to refer back to this. Now, I've done this for years and years and years. And I've discovered that my wife has saved these things over the years. And I I, I look and she's taken notes on me over the years. In fact, I was in the closet the other day and I found a box in our closet. And it was full of cash and it had two eggs in it. And I said, baby, what is this? She said, well, over the years, every time you preached a bad sermon, I put an egg in this box. I said, well, two uh, out of all these years, that's pretty good. She said, when I got a dozen, I sold them. So that's, uh, (laughs) that is a terrible joke. But we're going to give this to you. Some of you said, yeah, I can see how that'd be true. So I would give you this. Here's your first thing I want you to jot down. The call of God is set up by God. The call of God is set up by God. God is the holy pursuer. You know, you can't even come into a relationship with God unless the Spirit of God draws you to himself. That's why we we share a verbal witness to people because we don't know what God is up to in their hearts and their lives. We don't know if God has been whispering to them. I was flying back from California Thursday night And I was flying on Southwest, and Southwest is what I call the cattle call airline. You, if you don't check in early, you get stuck in the middle, in the middle seat. And it's always a blessing for me to be in the middle seat. I'm like the Midians. I'll come in and spread out all over the land. Well, I had the middle seat, and, I, and I'm always looking. I, I got on the plane, and the stewardess looked for me. I, I looked at her, and I said, is there anything left but middle? She goes, no, it's the middles. I said, well, I got to find somebody skinny. So I started walking. And there was a, a girl on this end, it was a guy over that end, the guy was kind of huddled up in the corner, and I asked the girl, do you mind if I sit here? She goes, no, I don't mind. And she was working on something. And so I leaned over and said, what are you working on? She goes, oh, I have to speak at my church on Sunday, and I'm working on a sermon, and I really don't know what in the world I am doing. And I said, well, it just so happens. <laughs> and we, uh, we worked her up a sermon. And, and actually, everybody there got to hear it. We took up an offering, paid for my airline ticket, so it was, it was good. 
But actually, what I didn't know what God was doing in her. She didn't know what God was doing in me. But God knew. And God is the divine orchestrator. A man makes his plans, but the Lord determines his steps. You guys believe that? You can think about that tomorrow as you go out. Now, let me read this passage, Luke 5, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. One day, Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Now, I've been to this place in, in Israel, and hopefully I can take some of you there one day. A great crowd pressed in to see it pressed in on him and listened to the word of God. Now, this is one thing that I found incredible. Every time Jesus preached, there was a great crowd, a great crowd. People could not wait to hear from him. The most dynamic, compelling communicator to ever live was King Jesus. Now, Jesus had the ministry of healing, healing people, healing them, feeding them, and preaching the gospel. So he had a holistic ministry. He wasn't just interested in their eternal destiny. He was interested in their present calamity. And Jesus ministered, and they pressed in. He noticed two fishing boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left him there and were washing their nets. Now, the word washing there is a word, same word that's used later in the, in the epistle of Paul from Ephesians when he said pastors are to equip the saints. Wash, equip, return to usefulness. You are to be prepared by God to be used by God. So God has to wash our lives to mend us, to return us to usefulness. Now, they were washing their nets. Now, this encounter was set up by Jesus with two other experiences. Now, you say, well, I read the book of Luke, and it seems like a caveat there. Now, you got to remember, Dr. Luke traveled with Paul. He was there, eyewitnesses, and he's writing. He, he's under the divine inspiration of the Holy, of the Holy Spirit, writing the, the gospel. He didn't write it on his own volition. He wrote it by the guide of the Holy Spirit. He's writing this, but he's also writing it from the perspective also of Mark's gospel. John Mark was Luke's friend. And they lived together for a while while Paul was in prison in Rome. So Mark is telling what he had seen. Mark was an eyewitness telling his scene. They were also familiar with another dude named Matthew. And in their friendship, in their relationship, they give us an awesome perspective of the ministry of Jesus. They also had a fellow that they knew named John. And John gives a whole other perspective. John, as a pastor, gives another perspective. Now, let me say this. The two other experiences that Peter had with Jesus, Peter and John, actually, who's in the boat with him, had with Jesus, you find in the other Gospels. In, in John, it said that, that they heard John the Baptist preaching, and they saw Jesus, and Jesus said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Peter's brother, Andrew, brought Peter to Jesus. Now, in the chronology, the chronology of this event, we're really not sure where it happened, but I believe this event happened at the culmination of these two other invitations. Seeing Jesus baptized, the invitation to come and see Jesus and spend time with him, and then Jesus gets up close and personal with Peter. What I've discovered in my life 
is that God is always making himself known to me even when I am not aware. He is working even when I'm not aware. He is moving in heaven and earth, sometimes behind the scenes, but I want to say this about God. God is always the center of attention. He's never the afterthought. He is the orchestrator of history and the orchestrator of your life. Nothing falls to the ground with God. And I love that about him. You see, Jesus wanted Peter, and he set him up to come and see. And Jesus wants you, and he sets you up to come and see. And that invitation might have been to drag your groggy self out of bed, load you up with caffeine, get in your car, and drive here to hear some obnoxious preacher. It's the invitation to come. You see, it's always started by God. This was not a chance. Jesus is is intentional. Now, I want to say this to you also. This This is really good. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm just second rate. Sometimes I feel like I'm just not as good as I should be. Playing golf yesterday was another example of my inadequacies. You know, I maintained everything but my dignity from the golf course. And uh, there was one guy, I actually hit a good shot, and I thought I was going to win closest to the pin. But I didn't. I lost it by that much because one guy hit it into the tree, and it fell out on the green closer than my ball. I actually hit a good shot, but I was trumped by this lucky rascal who hit it in the tree, and it fell out beside. Now, I'm not going to tell you who that was. I will give you his initials, Wyatt Warren, who was the one who did that. (laughs) But often I'm reminded of my inadequacies. But I want to say this to you. God is not impressed with the most proficient among us. I've been watching basketball, and I watched this guy from Oregon yesterday. Number one, I think his name was Ball. He was everywhere on that court. That guy was just, he blocked shots, he made shots, he intimidated, he called fouls. I think he sold popcorn in the stands during the break. He just took over the game. Do you think God went, whew, that guy played basketball. I think Jesus could beat him one-on-one because Jesus is the center of the universe. But what gives me hope is this. In my inadequacies, God always chooses to enable people who are desperate for him. Do you know in Peter's day, the the goal of life was to become a rabbi? That young Jewish men by the age of 13 were to have all of the first five books of the Bible memorized. All of it memorized. And then you were invited to join a rabbi by your ability to recite and to know Jewish law. I don't know if you guys know this, but the Apostle Paul had the entire Old Testament memorized. That's a big brain, y'all. 
Peter was not the best and brightest. John wasn't the best and brightest. Andrew, Matthew, my gracious, he was a tax collector. But Jesus invited these guys to come and follow him, which says to me, he'll take me. I don't have to clean up, grow up, smart up. Jesus says, come on. And I will take the crooked and the unwise and I will use it to astonish the learned and the wise. Do you know when Peter and John stood before the Sanhedrin, they said these are uneducated men, but they have been with Jesus. Do you remember that? Literally, the Greek says, these two men are idiots. Because the Greek word there is the same word used for where we get the word idiot. These two men are idiots. But they have been with Jesus. I'd rather be a fool for Jesus than a fool on my own. And he uses our brokenness for his glory. Do you know what that says to me? I've got to remove the barriers from my mind that often make excuses. I was talking to uh, leaders this week, and I said, listen to me very carefully. Do not say no for somebody. And we're trying to start a movement. I, I want to say this because you need to really know what your interim pastor is up to. Uh, the church in North America is in trouble. Do you guys realize that? From the best estimates, we have 95% of churches in North America are either dying or plateaued. I think personally it's unacceptable for people to die and go to a devil's hell. I think that's just unacceptable. And the church is to be the hope of the world. We're trying to rally pastors so we can have healthy pastors and healthy churches who lead healthy movements for King Jesus. And we were talking about this and these guys, well, we, we want to recruit this pastor because he seems like he's, he's able, but he's so busy, we're just going to say no. I said, do not say no for him. You let him say no. You let the Spirit drive him. In fact, I live my life with this thought. I say yes to Jesus before he asks me. Yes. Yes. On that faithful Monday afternoon of January 29th, when Wyatt called me and asked me if I was interested in becoming your interim, Wyatt did not hear me say, well, I need to pray about that. Did you? What did I say? Let's go. Now, a couple of things. Jesus is really orchestrating my life, or you guys are really desperate, one of those two things. But either way, we find ourselves together, and I believe it's a sin for church to be boring, and I believe we're supposed to enjoy the journey with Jesus. Would you agree with that? Yeah. So we have to remove the barriers. Here's some things. I know some of you are thinking right now, well, that sounds all good, preacher. I'm too old. I got one foot in the grave, the other's on a banana peel. I'm too old. Really? You're not too old. Well, if you know what I've done, you know Jesus don't want nothing to do with me. That's a lie. Jesus has never met a man that he could not fix or met a woman he could not fix. And I want to say this to you. In fact, I want you to write it down. It's not how you start. It's how you finish that matters. 
It's not how you start, it's how you finish that matters. And you can finish sprinting into the arms of Jesus. Or you say, well, I don't know enough. And, or what will people think about me? Will they think I'm a lunatic? They already think you're crazy. Just get over that. Everybody's normal till you get to know them, right? Or I, I'm scared. I'm scared. What if Jesus sends me to Africa? Well, I just want to say this to you. Jesus loves Africa enough not to send you over there. It's okay. <laughs> I, I, I'm kind of long-winded. I don't want to preach long because I want us to get to communion. But I, I want to tell you this story. Um, back in the late 1800s, missionaries from a, a, an organization sent five missionaries to the Congo, five missionary families to the Congo because the Congonese were not reached by the gospel. And they went there, and all five families died. All of them died. Died. Word came back to the University of Nyack College where they were sent from that all five of these families had perished. Fifteen more families volunteered, packed their belongings in their coffins, and moved to the Congo. In 2012, I stood on the banks of the mighty Congo River preaching to over 5,000 pastors because the church of Jesus Christ has flourished in that place because someone said, I'm not scared. Where's our courage? Let me read some scripture to you. However, those the Father has given to me, I will, will, they will come to me and I will never reject them. John 6, 37. Oh, what joy for those whose rebellion is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Psalm 31, 32, 1. That means those who become Christians become new persons and they're not the same anymore for the old is gone and new life has begun. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. I, I love that passage. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all Fear. Here's the second thought I want you to write down. Jesus is not looking for your permission to call you. He's not looking for your permission. Let me read on. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push out into the waters. So he sat in the boat and he taught the crowds from there. Now, I think this is pretty bold of Jesus just to kind of take over a guy's boat. Now, we realize that in, in the, the state of things, Jesus owns everything. So that really wasn't Peter's boat. He just thought it was Peter's boat. That was Jesus' boat. Peter didn't realize it had been a transfer of title, like since the foundation of the earth. But he stepped into Peter's boat. Why? Because he was going to call Peter, and he got him to the place of full attention. Can you imagine sitting in a boat rowing out and you're sitting literally underneath Jesus as he taught the crowd? You were, you were, as we say in the South, you were under the spout where the glory comes out. And he listened to that. I think at that moment, Peter felt like he was the only one in the presence of Jesus. Now, as a pastor, I'd love to have Jesus' outline that day because I think that dog would hunt again. I'd preach that again. But the Luke does not give us his outline. What he gives us was the direction. Jesus is intentional. Jesus was not only preaching to the crowd, 
but he was preaching to the man. And it's the same thing today. There's so many times I hear people say to me, Pastor, it's like you were talking to me today. And I was the only one in the room. You know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit. In fact, I had one guy come up to me and say, would you get out of my lap? <laughs> I said, that's creepy. I ain't in your lap. It ain't going to be in your lap. I had one guy, he invited his buddy to come. And, and this is a church of several thousand, probably 2,500 people there that day. And I was preaching, and the guy got up and walked out. Just got up and stormed out. That's not the first time it's happened to me, and I kind of watched the old boy look, and I looked at his friend, and he's just gone. And so he got up and he followed his friend, got in his parking lot. He said, how dare you call that preacher and tell him what's going on in my life? How dare you do that to me? You brought me in here, and that rascal, he was after me all morning. How dare you do that? He said, Bubba, there are 2,000 people in that room. Do you think he's going to take his time just to preach to you? That's conviction of the Holy Spirit. And that guy came to the Lord because Jesus is intentional. He'll talk to the crowd, but he'll talk to you. Do you have ears to hear from the Lord? Will you listen to him? I want you to think about this a second. Look back over your life. When were there times when Jesus was in your boat? When Jesus was in your lap? When Jesus was speaking directly to you? Before Terry and I went to Canada, I was praying about whether or not we should go. That's a long ways. And there were some things I had to overcome. The climate, the culture, the denomination. Even though I was credentialed as a Southern Baptist pastor and had a, the finest education one could receive, theologically, in my humble yet accurate opinion, those people didn't know me, and I had to vet me. I had to pass an accreditation interview and take a seminary-level class in order for them to maintain my ordination. Had to, had to answer verbally and written 137 theological questions. That's fine. They didn't know me. Had to submit myself to that. And so I was praying one day, and I was reading in Isaiah, Isaiah 22, 17. It says this, And you, almighty man, I'm about to roll you up into a ball and cast you into a far country, and there you will die. I thought, well, I guess I'm going to Canada. I didn't die there. I almost froze to death. But, but you know what? I did die there because I died to myself. And the greatest resurrection is not the resurrection of your body into glory, but is the resurrection of your will to live all for Jesus. You see, the call of discipleship, I want you to write this down, is not about you or your timing. It's about the Lord and his timing. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out to where it's deep and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master Simon replied, we worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing. I've been on those fishing trips. But if you say so, we'll let down the nets again. This time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. A shout from help brought their partners from the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish, and they were on the verge of sinking. You see, Jesus is always asking, ask Simon Peter, for his timing, for Jesus' timing, not his timing, and he wants you to adjust to him, he will never adjust to you. We do not have the God of our making. We have the God of the universe who is making us to become like him. You don't get to make your Jesus. 
You get to follow King Jesus. And Jesus will give us always the opportunity to respond. I, I kind of find it kind of humorous that, Jesus, that Peter is arguing or giving fishing advice to the one who made the dadgum fish. When Jesus says, go let down your nets, what should you do? Let down your nets. Now, as I, as I was writing this and looking at this talk as writing this, I was saying, that, you know, it's, it's, it's funny how Simon Peter questioned Jesus, but don't I do that all the time? I don't want to question him. I mean, today I was driving up and I was questioning. I was driving down Purgatory Road down the Devil's Backbone. I was like, where am I going? What am I doing? I don't know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing. I'm following the Lord. You know, and Jesus is always the God of the unexpected. Lots of fish. Lots of fish. And then that, that, that call of Jesus will always influence others around you. Now, I'm going to run through the rest of this because we need to get done. And I promise you that when I preach long, I'll give your time back to you when we get to heaven. The call of Jesus always demands a response, always demands a response. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell on his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. Man, I know how that feels. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught as well as the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. As soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. You see, there's nothing casual about the invitation to come and follow. It's always intentional. And we see our true selves in the invitation from God. We see that we are the beloved. We see our brokenness. We see, I'm a sinful man. And God can hit a straight lick with a crooked stick. He loves to take the ordinary and the common and use them for the or extraordinary and the uncommon. God is able to do more than we could ever ask or think according to his power that works within us, within the church, for the glory of Christ Jesus our Lord. He is able. He is able and noticed this, and this jumped out at me. Jesus met their needs. Now, you say, okay, what do you mean, Scott? These guys were commercial fishermen, right? What did they catch? A bunch of fish. What did they do with those fish? Sold them. And mama got new shoes that day because they sold their fish. Now, I want to say this. Some of us look at the ministry of Jesus with kind of unrealistic eyes. And we say, well, you know, Jesus did this ministry, and, you know, I'll tell you something. The first century, just like today, there had to be money. There had to be fuel to the ministry. What fueled Jesus' ministry? They sold fish. And Jesus provided for the ministry by the selling of the fish. Those fish did not go to waste. Those fish became resources to fuel the ministry of King Jesus. And I love that. I love that when God blesses me with resources, I give back to him. And I want to say this to you. I want you to listen to me. At First Baptist Wimberley, Texas, 
We do not give to missions. We are the mission. And we partner with other missions around the world. When you give to this church, you're not giving to keep the lights on. You're giving to the mission of Jesus. And that changes my heart. And I said, Jesus, you're going to catch some fish and you're going to fund the ministry and you're going to need to use me in it. And I get to partner with God in doing what he wants done. And it changes my heart of generosity. And the last thing they did, they responded with their lives. Let's go. Do you want to go on, on an adventure? Jesus is calling. Let's go. Remove the barriers. Remove the doubt. All throughout Scripture, you hear the call of God. Adam, where are you? A rhetorical question if there ever was one asked. Noah, build a boat. It's about to rain. It had never rained, ever. Moses, let my people go. Abraham, you're an old man. You're going to be a daddy. Your wife, she's old. People are going to talk about her. She's going to be 90 and pregnant. Two things he's going to say. How'd that happen? They go look at you and said, she ought to killed you. <laughs> King David, you'll have a dynasty. And it'll lead to King Jesus. Come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Simon, Simon, why do you persecute me? And some say the thorn in Paul's flesh was the blinding of his eyes on the Damascus road. But the de definition of Paul's life was the invitation to come and follow. How are you going to respond? What are you going to say? I don't know about you, but this is what I'm going to say. Jesus... I'm yours. Let's go. Let's go. Because there's no greater life lived than a life lived all for Jesus.